You've heard of Grammarly, and you might think it's a fancy spell check, but people on your team have been using it and loving it for years because it does way more than you realize. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that works seamlessly across apps and websites and can write an instant first draft in a few clicks, not a few hours. When every word your team writes is clear, concise and on brand, companies can save 19 days per employee per year. Learn what better writing can do for your company at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said, done. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. The heart of where innovation, money, and power collide in Silicon Valley and beyond. This is Bloomberg Technology with Caroline Hyde and Ed Ludlow. Live from Bloomberg's World Headquarters in New York, I'm Caroline Hyde. And I'm Ed Ludlow, also in New York this week, and this is Bloomberg Technology. Coming up, we are getting the full earnings coverage for you. We hear from the CEO of Rivian on the EV maker's earnings and push ahead to all-important Disney results after the bell, not to mention a whole host of other tech names. Plus, as we speak, WeWork appears in bankruptcy court to kick off a months-long debate about how creditors should divide the remains of a once high-flying company. Details ahead. And shares of Take-Two Interactive, they are surging today after the company confirmed reports it's planning to release details on its hotly anticipated Grand Theft Auto 6. All that and so much more coming up. The story for me is about Bob Iger's turnaround, right? All of those cuts, the cost savings, thinking about reducing the content spend. Well, that's how he's going to be judged by on the bottom line after market. I think that's where we look in a few hours' time, Cara. Yeah, return to growth. That's what people want to see, whether it be on, indeed, Disney's subscriber growth on Disney+, Plus, but also whether really we can see a turnaround in the overall numbers. Let's get to it with Chris Palmieri of Bloomberg. And are we expecting a bounce back to growth? Yeah, I mean, at least in terms of Wall Street's expectations, it's going to be a bump in sales. It's going to be a higher profit, the bottom line. Uh, they're expected to show lower losses in the streaming business. So, yeah, all those things that you mentioned, the cost cutting is it appears to be paying off. So, so I think this is going to be a really big earnings, uh, Chris Palmieri. You lead our coverage of the entertainment industry. Do you go into this thinking about Disney as a tech company, streaming, subscribers, content, or do you wake up on earnings morning and think theme parks, merchandise, and traditional TV? I always think of Disney more as a consumer products company. Uh, This has been a really choppy week in terms of entertainment earnings. We saw Paramount stock jump last week when they reported better results. Today, Warner Brothers dives, uh, and again, some numbers there in the Warner Brothers reports are not bad. They showed a profit in streaming in the most recent quarter, which Disney and Paramount have not, are unlikely to. So uh, you never know what to expect. Uh, it's been a really difficult market for advertising on the mm. traditional TV networks. That's something Disney is very much exposed to. 
and and the big questions always surround Disney and what is Bob Iger going to say on the call about yes. divestitures of ABC, buying Hulu, you know, other potential deals. It's 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 always uh, you know something to watch because this is actually where we get the first what sports TV part of the business stripped out, actually showing us what the numbers really look like when it comes to ESPN. How much do you think he'll actually answer questions about what he sells, what he buys? Uh, I certainly hope he gets asked a lot. I mean, ESPN is one of the ones that said they're looking for a strategic partner. We've reported they've talked to everyone, tech companies, the sports leagues. It's not really clear to a lot of people what Disney gets out of the, you know, bringing in another investor to ESPN. Hearst Corporation owns 20 percent of it. You know, one of the takeaways from the numbers they started reporting on the sports business is that although it's profitable, you know, it, it's, it has really high content costs, those NFL rights. And that's something that's likely to come into play in this uh, quarter as they reported as well. So getting that picture of ESPN and where it goes from here is going to be important. All right, Bloomberg's Chris Palmieri, you are the editor in charge of our entertainment coverage. So it's a busy day for you out on the West Coast. Thank you very much. Look, a name that I've been watching, Caro, is Rivian. As you know, I was chained to my desk for earnings. Shares really popped last night, again in pre-market, because of two pieces of news. Updated guidance, they'll be build more EVs than expected. But also Amazon has freed them from their exclusivity on vans. They can go and sell vans to others. And I'd heard from sources they were well underway with that. So I asked the CEO, RJ Scarringe, have a listen. It's not as if uh, we woke up yesterday and we signed uh, the exclusivity, the change the exclusivity agreement with Amazon. It was a long, long process. And, and through that process, we were able to use that time to build a pipeline of other customers and diverse customers. Uh, we're not yet announcing any of those deals, um, but, but they'll start uh, by and large with pilot uh, deployments where we have uh, sort of scaled, the scaled number of vehicles that go out and test the systems, understand how they fit within the network. Uh, but what you'll see is it's very diverse across everything from last mile to retail to, of course, just more general purpose commercial applications of, of vans. You have an announcement, but have not announced them, but there are deals, deals that are done and you have visibility on new customers on EDV from this point on. What I'd say is we have uh, very high visibility on uh, customers outside of Amazon, and we are excited to talk about those, but we're not yet uh, talking about those other uh, those other relationships and partnerships. RJ, Rivian is still losing $31,000 on every EV that it makes. When will you start making money on them? Yeah, this is this has been an absolutely a, a core focus for us as a business. And quarter over quarter, we've shown shown significant progress. We we certainly showed that uh, as we went from Q2 to Q3 and, and talked about those results yesterday. Uh, and these improvements that are driving us towards the long term 25% gross margin that we've talked about uh, extensively on R1. Uh, you can almost think of it as a staircase. There's a whole host of changes that are happening in our material costs. That's our bill of materials. Uh, there's improvements in our plant. Uh, there's the fixed cost absorption from running at higher volumes in the plant. Uh, and then, as of course, there's uh, the evolution of our average selling price, which continues to trend upwards as we move into newer orders and also launch things like our, our max pack, our largest battery pack. Um, but importantly, I, I do want to really be clear here. 
this staircase of steps, the, the biggest step amongst those is what we'll be putting in place in the plant um, in the second quarter of 2024, where there's a consolidated set of changes that go into the vehicle that, that dramatically reduce the bill of materials and also allow us to run the plant more efficiently. Um, that's not to say there's not improvements that are happening leading up to that, but we had a similar shutdown that we did on our commercial van early part of this year. and. and Coming out of that, we had a 35% reduction in our material cost. So that's the scale of of change that we're going to be driving with the shutdown for R1 uh, in the second quarter of 2024. Yeah. And these are contractual. These are contractual changes, meaning bill of materials changes are not like us hoping suppliers are going to charge us less. These are hard negotiations uh, with suppliers, contractually obligated, uh, but there's effectivity dates that have to be achieved. You know, they, they don't all apply immediately. They, they come in over time. RJ, our audience has one common question, very straightforward. When will they see an R2 prototype, a prototype? We absolutely can't wait to show it. Uh, the we're going to be showing the the R2 program uh, in the first quarter of, of this coming year, so the early part of next year. This is uh, this is a absolutely vital program for us as a business. It, it allows us to take our brand and, and what we built as a company and put it into a smaller package, but importantly, a much lower priced vehicle. Uh, but I, I, I've never been this excited about a product as I am about R2. It's, um, it is that exciting and, it, and I would say it's that good. Uh, we think it's just exceptional. But quickly, to be clear, you'll whip the canvas off on stage or something in the first quarter of 24 on an R2 prototype. We're going to be showing it in the early part of next year. Yep, that's right. That was my interview with RJ Scarring, Rivian CEO. Some say doppelganger. Now coming up, <laughs> some on, say. Uh, yeah, Caroline says Stevo. Uh, coming up on the show, we're going to talk about safeguards for artificial intelligence with the CEO of Credo AI, who's in town to kick off the Responsible AI Summit, which is in New York today. Carrie, what you got? Meanwhile, look, there are a whole host of earnings that are coming up. Some of them relatively new to publicly trading life. Once again, Arm key among them. It's actually down on the day, as of course most of the spectrum is in terms of tech. Arm off by 3%, but look for their numbers after the bell lift as well. All important after Uber managed to outperform Instacart as well. Key as it stands some 4%. And of course, both of these recently listed companies have been under pressure since going public. We'll keep a close eye on all of that. From New York, both of us today, this is Bloomberg Technology. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message, and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop, customer satisfaction scores would rise, and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? 
With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. Some news in the social media space. In an effort to combat misinformation, Meta will soon require advertisers to disclose when political or social issue ads have been created or altered by artificial intelligence. The rules will go into effect in 2024 and require advertisers to disclose when AI is used in Facebook or Instagram ads on social issues, elections or politics. This according to the company's vice president of global affairs, Nick Clegg. Karen. And all of that is, of course, surrounding safeguards, ways in which you can identify artificial intelligence. What about protection from AI more broadly? Today in New York, in the city, Credo AI will kick off its Responsible AI Leadership Summit. Basically, it brings together industry pioneers who are kind of leading the charge in the adoption of AI governance globally. Pleased to welcome to the show Credo AI CEO Navrina Singh, right here in New York with us. Wonderful to have you with us. Thank you so much for having me. So, ultimately, are the right people, the right voices, exerting their voices and having changes made at the moment? Because everyone's wildly trying to adopt AI. Are they getting the governance and the rules in place quickly enough? What a great question, Carolyn. You know, the past 10 days, if there are any signal of the urgency in adopting artificial intelligence, we've seen that, you know, from the executive order from President Biden all the way to the UK AI summit to a lot of discussion around how do we now actually make this real. And this is why we are here in New York today, because we are hosting industry's first responsible AI premier event where we are going to be bringing in partners, customers from Amazon to Microsoft to Google, Booz Allen, MasterCard and many others who are already operationalizing a lot of those guardrails within their organizations today. So I think we've moved beyond the talk mm -hmm. and now it's time for action and we're already seeing that within the enterprises. That is a who's who list of, of participants. It, it might seem like a, a sort of strange question but are there any stakeholders in the world of AI that declined your invitation mm -hmm. that you wish, hey sit down with us and talk because you're a big part of this? Uh, good news is no. Everyone that we invited is showing up, but as you can imagine that there are certain policymakers as well as startups and companies in Europe that are heads down right now with the EU AI Act. So they weren't able to join us in person, but they are joining us virtually. Is there frustration that well, ultimately, laws aren't being made quickly enough because it does. Fit. Everyone wants to say this time it's different vis-a-vis -vis crypto, vis-a-vis -vis social media. And it's a regional thing, right? Europe yeah. versus US. What's happening in China? But, and yeah. they do all seem to be coming together and talking a lot about it. But ultimately, it takes time to make policy. Is self-regulation, as some of our guests have said, basically marking your own homework the way that it has to be for the near time? You know, Carolyn, I think in the world of AI, and if you just think about what really powers this entire ecosystem, it's trust. So certainly regulations and upcoming compliance needs are a driving force, but right now what we are seeing is the reason organizations, policymakers, different stakeholders care about governance is because you want to engender trust in this powerful technology, mm. which is literally shaping our lives day in, day out. So I think if you step back from the regulatory compliance today, how can we make that trust happen. It is through transparency, it is through oversight, and it is through actual guardrails. On that transparency issue, you heard the story that we, we covered on Meta 
right? If it's a political or social issue ad and it's been altered or created by AI, then you're, you have to disclose it as an advertiser. Yeah. Does that work? Is it a powerful tool to your mind? You know, I think it's a starting point. Uh, one of the things that is really nerve-wracking uh, for me as well as a technologist is there's so much information out there mm -hmm. and we are already entering this phase where we don't know what's made by human versus what's made by AI versus what's made by human plus AI combination. So I think we are entering this phase where need for you know watermarking, need for provenance, need for really understanding the entire lineage is going to be critical. And we are just at the starting point. It's a very complex issue and a lot of technological innovation but also policy innovation is needed. Can you just walk us through how you at Credo ultimately help a company get the right guardrails in place? How have you thought about writing the rule book ahead of anyone else actually setting them from a regulatory perspective? Yeah, so I think this is where Credo AI, our mission has always been how do you make sure AI is in service of humanity? And instead of just us creating our rules, we first, what we did was build very strong partnerships in the ecosystem with the regulators, policymakers, standard setting bodies like NIST, ISO, and others. So our first step was really bringing all that knowledge in, but operationalizing that through software, through technology. And as you can imagine, most of our team is AI experts, risk experts. So now we are bringing in best practices from Credo AI to really help transform. Just a quick example, today is a big day. We are launching our trust reports and trust scorecards. Because if you've been following the OpenAI's uh, dev day, mm -hmm. they've introduced the marketplace. Now, how do you actually make sure that all these new applications that are showing up in the marketplace are actually trusted and are governed. And this is where Credo AI's trust layer comes in. We've learned a lot in the enterprise world that we are now bringing to startups so that they can compete, but also win in this age of AI. Navrina Singh, Credo AI CEO. It's good to be here in person with you. Yeah, so thank you for having me. So many conversations we've had remotely. Uh, keep in touch on what actually happens in your summit. Okay, time for Talking Tech. And news out just before the show, AI startup Anthropic will be one of the first companies to use new chips from Google, deepening their partnership after a recent $3 billion cloud computing agreement. Anthropic will deploy the chips to help power its large language model, Claude. Remember, they also have a deal with AWS. And Amazon, speaking of, is offering Prime subscribers discounted One Medical memberships. The new deal will cut a One Medical membership by $100 to $99 a year. One Medical is a centerpiece of Amazon's healthcare operation. And Microsoft is offering US politicians and campaign groups a tool aimed to help fight the rise of deep fakes ahead of the 2024 presidential election. The new tool will allow parties to authenticate their videos and photos with so-called watermark credentials using cryptography. Karen. Meanwhile, Ed, we move away, well, from the future of AI to what's happening in the here and now of the downfall of WeWork. It's making its first bankruptcy court appearance today, seeking to advance that restructuring proposal that could cut $3 billion in debt and actually shrink the company's real estate footprint. The once really high-flying real estate business filed for bankruptcy just two years after going public. Let's bring in Bloomberg's Ellen Hewitt, who was there for the highs, who were there for the crash, and ultimately we see the repercussions for those left holding what is the assets thus far. Ellen, who's really being implicated by this bankruptcy filing? 
Well, the people who are really being affected, I mean, it seems like reputationally, um, SoftBank is really being hurt by this. Um, you know, they've obviously poured billions of dollars into this company over the years. And now it's, it's almost like a crown jewel of their bad calls, right? It's going to be the one that people always refer to and say, like, wow, that was really not a good bet. Um, and I think although there's a future for WeWork, you know, depending on how this um, bankruptcy process goes, um, I, I think reputationally it's been really hard for um, SoftBank and for Masayoshi-san. You have chronicled every step, basically, of, of WeWork. You have a piece out, a look back at the 10 defining moments. We don't have time for all 10, yeah. but what are the kind of top two to your mind? Well, people forget how fun WeWork was um, in the sort of the period between like 2014 and 2019. I mean, it was first this extremely energetic, rah-rah, super fun company um, that was really trying to make work fun. So if you can picture it, um, you know, going to summer camp, which was their big annual um, blowout, both for all their employees as well as a bunch of members, they would come, gather for a weekend in these like beautiful settings in nature and have basically a music festival. Um, yes. There were speakers like Deepak Chopra. There were headlining musical acts. There was alcohol everywhere. Um, and if you talk to people who used to work at WeWork, they were like, yeah, that was really fun. <laughs> and it's imagine going to Coachella, but it's thrown by your boss. It's like one of these weird things that I think captures the thing that WeWork was trying to do, which was blur the lines between work and your personal life. What's interesting is Masayoshi Son sort of almost took on sort of some of the blame over Adam himself, Newman, sort of realizing that perhaps by thrusting so much money, so much desire for him to go out, build, be ambitious, it, it pushed Adam too far. Do you think that has credence to it? I think it I think it does. I mean, in some ways, one way to look at Adam is that he's someone who was very good, intentionally or not, at taking advantage of the venture capital financial ecosystem of the mid to late 2010s. Like, he realized that there were people out there, like Masa, who were willing to write enormous checks for people who were willing to put so much energy into growing a company as fast as Adam was able to grow WeWork. So you end up with someone who you know, already had the tendencies to want to go big and go crazy. And then there's someone like Masa who really came along and enabled that with enormous amounts of money. Um, it does seem like both of them, you know, they're not, certainly they'll have futures in business. Um, Adam's future in business certainly seems quite strong. He's been able to raise hundreds of millions of dollars for his new ventures. And right. um, his, his reputation, of course, this will always be part of his story, but I think he's emerged pretty unscathed. Uh, Bloomberg's Ellen Hewitt, all over WeWork for years. Today's day one of, of bankruptcy court, more to come. Thank you so much. Welcome back to Bloomberg Technology. I'm Caroline Hyde. And I'm Ed Ludlow. And it's time for a quick check on markets. And team technology, I've got some devastating news. After eight straight days of gains on the NASDAQ 100, the longest streak of gains going back to November 2021. As it stands, the NASDAQ 100 in this session is down by a few tenths of 1%. The hot streak is over. But what's so astonishing, Caroline, this week while I've been in New York with you, we talked about how much of the heavy lifting the mega caps have done in the context of earnings, some upside there, NVIDIA still to report. But some of the higher multiple software names, they've been in the red. And we've seen this situation where the vast majority of names in the NASDAQ 100 have been in the red in any given session, while few of the mega caps keep the index overall buoyant. The focus, of course, is switching to the macro. It is switching to the geopolitics and what the Fed will or won't do at the start of 2024. But 
watch this screen going towards the end of the session. Will we snap eight days of gains or will we get a ninth day? I'm ever the optimist. <laughs> you always are. You have to be in the world of tech quite often. But meanwhile, well, someone's got reason to be optimistic. The IT infrastructure provider, Kindrill, celebrated its second anniversary of its spin-out from IBM with better than expected financial results. Look, shares have actually been popping at one point up as much as 15%. Biggest intraday rise since August. The company boosted its earnings outlook for the full year, posted second quarter revenue and adjusted EBITDA ahead of street consensus. Kindrell CEO Martin Schroeder is with us. Just down in Midtown Manhattan, it's good to have some time with you, Martin. And look, this is a turnaround story. You seem to be doing it quicker than expected. Revenue is still falling. You anticipate that you could get that into positive territory maybe by, what, next year? Uh, we do. Thank you for the opportunity. Uh, look, we, we've said already for two years now that we will get this business to grow again in calendar 25. And now two years into the journey, we feel better about that than ever before. This year and, and a little bit next year as well is going to for us to be continued focus on on engineering, if you will, a decline uh, around things that just don't make sense for our business. And we see the benefit of that in the profit progress that we've made now at the same time. We are seeing growth and strong revenue growth in areas that we want to continue and we expect to continue over the long haul. So our Kindrel Consult business is growing quite well. Uh, elements, elements of our business where we are aligned with our customer there's long-term secular trends around investing in data and AI and hybrid cloud and et cetera, et cetera. They're all showing great, great growth. So, so we're in a position, as we said we would be, where we're engineering declines in part of our business, which just didn't make sense for us, mm-hmm. and all, all, on the, all the while building businesses so we get back to uh, long-term sustainable growth in calendar 25. When I think about tech infrastructure, when I think about data, AI, security, they sound pretty necessary. Ultimately, are there any macro headwinds that affect you and the growth that you're currently seeing or no? Yeah, it's a great question. Look, the, the nature of what we do is running the mission critical infrastructure of the companies that run the world, the banking systems, the airline systems, the telecom systems, the supply chains. And so so in that, in that nature of that work is that regardless of the macro environment, you know, you need to run your infrastructure. And fortunately, as you would expect from the world's largest infrastructure services provider, we're also helping our customers not, not only make sure their infrastructure stays secure, stays resilient, but we're also helping them position themselves for those long-term secular trends that they want to continue to invest in regardless of the macro environment so that they're ready for, for what comes next. So we spend a lot of time with our customers helping them, for instance, with AI. We spend a lot of time with our customers getting the data architectures right so they can take advantage of that uh, innovation. And obviously, we spend a lot of time with our customers helping them move on to clouds to take advantage of the innovation they see there to run their businesses. So while while the nature of the work remains uh, so, sort of resilient, if you will, to the macro, because we're not really a, we're not really a, 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 a something that you decide if you need or you don't need. You have to have an infrastructure. The the nature of what the work we do also helps them uh, position themselves for the future. We're we're just not a discretionary item, and and the nature of the work we do is not discretionary for their future either. The nature of the work you do and those doing it. What put Kindra on the map for me at the beginning of the year, Martin, was that you confirmed to our own Brody Ford you would cut a small amount of headcount 
but that in turn put on the map that you had 90,000 people working for you. Um, how has the progress of those reductions been? And, and why do you need 90,000 staff? That's a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, it is. Look, it, it is a lot, but we're you know we're a big we're a big company. We're we're the largest infrastructure services provider, and our customers rely on us uh, again to run their most important mission critical, what, what I would call hearts and lungs. Now, out of the ninety, which is the number we were spun out with about that number spun out of IBM. IBM. So so we we you know you don't get to pack your own suitcase on this journey. So that was what we had. Now. Out of that, you know, roughly 90, about two thirds of those people are, are delivering every day to customers. And that's what's so important to customers that they have the people that they trust delivering every day. And so we spend a lot of time making sure that our customers and the teams they trust have the right skills, they're in the right place, and they're delivering every day. We have uh, earlier this year, as we came out of IBM, uh, as we hit our one-year anniversary, we were able to start to simplify some of the processes we inherited. And we took a big step uh, last weekend, which was actually the two-year anniversary date. We took a big step by by moving off of now all of the transition service agreements that IBM created for us. So we are now on an all-cloud platforms. We've reduced the application count uh, from what we inherited, which was over 1,800, to now in the in the in the dozens. And that allows us now to rethink how the, the processes that we inherited, how can they really be uh, uh, changed and transformed to support a services business? So, so for us, while we, you know, we, were, we were dealt a hand, uh, we've been able to uh, use uh, AI, automate workloads so that we're, we're not as uh, needful to go out and build skills with external hires. We can use the people we free up and put them into the, the more important, quite frankly, more valuable work that we're doing now. And we now have an opportunity as we get through, as we are now through the TSAs, we have an opportunity to really think how we run the business and how do we build uh, how do we build uh, fit for purpose processes for the kind of services business we run as opposed to the more product oriented business that we came from. Martin, shares up 11% on track for their biggest jump since August. A, a big part of that is the AI story as you outlined. You know, in the cloud space, there's evidence that companies big and small kind of dialed it back in some areas and reallocated spend for compute on the AI side. Does that show up in infrastructure as well? Uh, the, the, the work that we do and we're helping our customers with is, is really getting their infrastructure ready to uh, undertake first the science projects that they want to try and I'll call it generative, you know, what they call generative AI now. But we've been working with customers for uh, quite a while on helping them implement machine learning and all the things that we use to run our business because they take advantage, our customers take advantage of our AI today by helping them uh, stay at the at the high end of world class based on all the technologies they have implemented and we automate all of that for them so that they have the the the, the best in class uh, implementations of Microsoft and and all the other uh, all the other technologies that they're using so they've been relying on us to give them insights about their infrastructure and now that now that they see we are kind of custom zero, if you will, for AI and for the use of machine learning. We're also helping them now with our partners yeah. get ready to implement their own machine learning, getting ready to implement generative AI and all the work that you need, again, with our workloads, all, you, all the work you need to do around data architecture and security and resiliency. Yes.
Kindrel CEO Martin Schroeter and the market buying that with shares on track for the biggest jump since August. Thank you so much. Now, coming up on Bloomberg Technology, we'll talk more about AI, but particularly investing in AI with Sequoia Capital Partner, Constantine Bueller. That's coming up. Karen. Well, let's look at another company where shares are popping. If you're looking at the ADRs of Adyen, a Dutch payments company, which was absolutely battered in August when it came forward with its numbers that just 22% growth wasn't going to be cutting anymore. The competition, the worry, they needed to convince investors to buy in. Today is our investor day. They seem to be doing that. Shares rocketing some 31% look still half of where they traded back in August, but they are showing that there's going to be aiming for low 20s to high 20s percentage annual revenue growth up to 2026, improving EBITDA margin to levels above 50% in that year too. This is Bloomberg Technology. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop, customer satisfaction scores would rise, and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks, like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. for our VC roundup. First up, Hill House chairman Zhang Li said that the next few years could produce, quote, the best vintages for private equity in Asia and that corporate management teams are maturing in the region. Now, Hill House is known for investing in traditional companies which use technology to improve business efficiency. Meanwhile, Kotu Management has marked down its stake in OpenSea by 90%. It's implying the company is now valued at 1.4 billion or less on paper, according to the information that's citing a document. Kotu slashed the value of its 120 million stake in the NFT marketplace to just 13 million as of the second quarter of this year. Meanwhile, Cheryl Sandberg is back, and she's backing women's health tech startup Circle. One of the first investments in the former Meta COO is making through her new venture capital fund. Circle is a San Francisco-based startup using AI to analyze biomedical and genomics data with the goal of improving women's health care. Ed. All right, let's stick in the world of venture. Today's VC Spotlight and bring in Sequoia Capital partner, Constantine Bueller. And it's a good time to catch up, right? Caroline and I think of Sequoia as this juggernaut of capital deployment, venture-backed deals. And with you, we think about AI. And I know you've actually been very busy since last we spoke. What have you been writing checks for? Absolutely. Ed, Caroline, thanks so much for having me back on. It's wonderful to be here. So last time we caught up, 
you asked the question, how is Sequoia going to lean into this moment of investing? Because yeah. Sequoia has been in the AI space for decades now, but there's this amazing inflection in the generative AI revolution. And I'm very excited to share that we've leaned in by backing excellent founders that are solving real customer problems. So this year alone, we've made 20 investments in the AI space. That's about 60% of our early stage net new investments. Well, real quick, how does that differ from what you did last year, for example? How is that a ramp up in activity in investing in AI? It's even more than last year. We've always had a focus on AI. Back to 1993 with NVIDIA, which is one of these absolute cornerstones of the entire AI field. We've always had an eye on AI, but there's been this exciting inflection point with generative AI that's allowed us to lean into even more companies in 2023. And, and this, this has allowed us to actually see users leaning into these products and using them actively. So now we're seeing lawyers leveraging AI and our product Harvey in order to generate contracts. We see teams using Dust in order to make personal assistants that automate mundane tasks. And we see developers using Hugging Face to implement open source into hundreds, thousands of projects. Overall, it feels like AI has landed and we've moved out of hype and into reality. Was any of the valuations of which you were writing the checks feeling a little hypey? No doubt valuations can be very high in the AI space. We've tried to stick with fundamentals, and one of the things that we found really helpful is a lot of AI builders, especially the ones we work with, appreciate the fact that building an AI company is building a company. So they look to Sequoia, and they look at the track record, and they realize a Sequoia-backed company is four times more likely to go from seed to Series A than if it weren't backed by Sequoia. It's twice as likely to go from A to Series B. Why do I say this? The point is that an AI company is a company. And so the fundamentals of company building that we've learned over the past many decades with AI companies and internet companies and cloud companies and mobile companies are translating very well. And that's led to a lot of our founders realizing the Sequoia Advantage and valuations that are much more reasonable within the ones that we've well, There's an interesting triangle here. We started the week with OpenAI's Developers Conference. Yes. You, Sequoia, were, were an earlier investor in OpenAI. And a big part of their pitch was kind of creator economy. In yeah. other words, they're going to start offering stuff yeah. that will help others build an AI company. Is that your assessment as well? Yes, so we've been investors in OpenAI for, for a while. We invested back in 2021 before this amazing movement uh, really started to inflect. And what they've done exceptionally well is lean into the developer, per your point, Ed. So they understand that the creator has that power. And yes, they can actually augment it with this type of staff that you're describing, but they still want to take that and put the power in the hands of the creator, which is another decades-long trend. So we've always known the developer, the creator has been key. This harkens back to Stripe, mm. which is the developer tools company for payment a decade ago. MongoDB, right here in New York developer tools company for databases, or even Unity, the developer tools companies for game creation. One of the things that OpenAI has nailed is focusing on the developer, focusing on the creator, and helping that creator, including with these assistants and services. I'm interested, you mentioned Dust, for example, a way in which we can all suddenly be augmented, basically, with our own very helpful chatbot. But how do GPTs that OpenAI is going to be suddenly making more abundant not just eat into that moat? How do you decide which one to back? Yes. 
So GPTs are going to be, I think, a, a wonderful addition to the ecosystem. And as, as I see it, as we see it, the, the world is not going to be a zero-sum game in AI. All boats are rising because of this amazing wave. You can do so much more with so much less. But not all value is going to accrue to, cert- to some of the ones that you've backed. I mean, not, not all of these ones are going to survive the competition coming from the juggernauts. No doubt. And what we've learned time and again at Sequoia in these technology innovations is that it's survival of the most nimble. Well, the big concern right of OpenAI is that they can stomach the mega compute costs, the talent costs. Yeah. So they end up being the strongest and only game in town. Is that a fair argument? I don't think it's going to play out that way. And first of all, we love OpenAI. We want them to succeed and continue to perform. They've actually contributed a lot to the AI ecosystem. But we're in the middle of a decades-long AI revolution. This is a point in time. Let's think back to the three things that make up AI. It's algorithms, of course, written by people. It's compute, and it's data. In the early 2000s, we saw the first sparks, and that was in the form of predictive AI. That powers everything from your Facebook newsfeed to your Netflix recommendations. Then more compute, more data, we had the perceptive AI revolution. That's everything from computer vision to self-driving cars, which are now commercially available on the streets of San Francisco, and amazing. This wave, the generative AI wave, is just more data, better algorithms, more compute, and we're gonna continue to go from here. It's gonna be video, it's gonna be multimodal, which they're investing into as well, and it's gonna be AI controlling complex systems. Just another point in time, and our job is to focus on the underdog so that they can actually come in and usher in the next wave of AI in what's going to be many more decades of innovation. Many would say, actually, the worker is the underdog right now, so we'll see how that has implications on the labor force. We'll have to get you back for another conversation on that. Sequoia Capital partner, Konstantin Buhler, always great to have him right here in New York and discuss all these things. Okay, after the runaway success of the animated Super Mario Bros. film, Nintendo is planning a live-action movie based on the Legend of Zelda video game series. The company announces that to analysts its plan to release one movie every year, building on the success of Mario, which generated $1.36 billion in global ticket sales. Nintendo said it will produce the Zelda picture with Arad Productions, which has also worked on some of the Marvel films. Kyra. Meanwhile, sticking with video games, Ed, shares of Take-Two Interactive surging today on news that the company is gearing up to announce the release of Grand Theft Auto 6, Ed. I know that you're yeah, one... interesting title. ...completely focused... <laughs> exactly. Completely a wild title for them. But let, let's get to the reporter behind the scoop. Bloomberg's Jason Schreger. Let, Schreger Jason... We were anticipating. We're excited for what's going to be released in December, the teasers to come. How important is this for the world of Gameland? Yeah, it's humongous. I think I, I don't even think people fathom just how big a release this is going to be. The previous game, Grand Theft Auto V, has sold 185 million copies, which, just to put that in perspective, the entirety of the Assassin's Creed series from Ubisoft, the humongous series that has been a cornerstone of a major video game publisher, has sold 200 million copies. Okay. GTA V has sold, once again, 185. It is the second best-selling game of all time second to only Minecraft. But Minecraft has kind of an unfair advantage because it's on phones. GTA is just on PC and consoles. So it's pretty mind-boggling. 
When I think about GTA, I think about the fan base, right? It's an intense global fan base. What can you tell that fan base based on your reporting to expect from GTA 6? Yeah, so we, we've been reporting at Bloomberg on this game for a little while now. We know it is set in a fictionalized version of Miami. We know it is going to have two protagonists, one male and one female. This is the first time in quite a long time that Rockstar has had a female protagonist, so that I think is going to be exciting. It'll offer a different perspective than uh, your average kind of uh, uh, male-centric Rockstar game. And yeah, it's really exciting. I mean, I'm, I'm very excited to check it out. I'm also excited about the fact that, as we've also reported Rockstar has really done a lot of work in trying to improve their culture over the last few years. They came under some controversy during the release of their last game, Red Dead Redemption 2, over their work-life balance and the kind of tough hours that they put their workers through. And it sounds like, from what I'm hearing inside the company, things have really been been getting better there, and we'll have to see if that remains the case throughout the final year or two of development on GTA 6. Bloomberg, Jason Schreier, just terrific reporting. And Caro, 2023 has been a year about video games, video games and films, video games. What are you amazing. playing at the moment? I'm playing right now Spider-Man 2. It's great. Ah, we like it when he's a superhero. Meanwhile, that does it for this edition of Bloomberg Technology. Check out the pod wherever you get yours. From New York City, this is Bloomberg Technology. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.